I'm going to preach this morning on the theme, put your money where your mission is. Put your money where your mission is. Lindsay, the year was 1996, and I had just celebrated my 11th birthday. And to honor the occasion, my mother threw me a sleepover birthday party with five of my closest friends. And we ate cake all night. We had impromptu dance parties. We ran around the house. We stayed up until 3 a.m. And you know, I cannot remember my mother ever throwing me another sleepover birthday party. (laughs) But here's what I do remember. Once all of the gifts and the cards were opened, I had accumulated $150. Now today, $150 will buy you three gallons of gas and some peanuts, only the unsalted kind. But in 1996, $150 felt like $150 million. And you know what they say. Money changes people. It changed the way that I walked. I found my nose a little bit higher in the air. It changed the way that I talked. I no longer called my mother mom or mommy, but mother darling. And and I asked mother darling to prepare my method of transport as we were going to the shopping arena to spend some of my inheritance. Now, Mother Darling did not answer me in the way that I would have expected. Instead, she asked something that completely changed the conversation and impacted my life, not just that day, but even now. She said, well, would you like to give any of that money to church on Sunday? If I were a bubble, I would have been popped. I had just become a millionaires, and my mother was already trying to reduce my net worth. So I said, um, absolutely, no, right, um, later, but of course, uh, I'm not sure, okay. See, you don't understand what I just said. She didn't understand it either. And she responded, however, with one simple sentence. It's your decision. Just pray about it. Now, I would rather have been tortured with death by a thousand paper cuts, grounded for life, or sentenced to hard labor for the next six months than be told to just pray about it. It would have been so much easier if she just said, you must give to church, you must give to church this much, and if you don't, you won't be a real Christian. Because then I could respond out of the arsenal of the preteen with my greatest weapon by rolling my eyes and rolling my eyes and rolling my eyes again. But that's not the conversation that we had that day. In fact, she didn't want to have a conversation with me at all. She wanted me to have a conversation with God. So that's what we will do today. We will have a conversation with God about giving, and then you, you will decide. Not the pastor, not an inquisitive parent, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit, you will decide how to respond. 
So to begin our conversation with God about giving, I imagine that there are three key questions that you might have. And the first is a pretty foundational one. Why do I have to give to God what belongs to me? Now, if any of you were to look at your banking account app, you would find that the owner of the account is in your name, not God's. Now, if it is in God's name or someone else's, there are exits to the uh, center aisle and on the left and the right of you. Identity theft is real. I'm just trying to protect you. But assuming that it is in your name, we might say that every dollar in that account belongs to you. And after all, who's the one who gets out of bed every single day and goes to work? You. Who sits behind the desk, stands in front of the chalkboard, walks around the boardroom, or tries to mute all those loud people on the Zoom screen? You. Who leads the team, helps make the decision, completes the spreadsheet and the task list, or sets the goals? Well, you. And after 40, 60, 80, sometimes 100 hours of this, who takes the paycheck or the pension and then pays all of the bills? You. You are the one that is doing all of the work. Shouldn't all of the money go to, well, you? If it's our work, shouldn't it be our money? These are the questions you might be asking today, and they're the ones that my children asked me this summer when they had their first lemonade stand. At the end of the driveway, they set up this little white table that they had a jug of lemonade and a sign that said, Ice Cold Lemonade, 75 cents. Now, business started off slow, Bonnie, but but Joshua, being the future Warren Buffett that he is, got a bright idea. He said, why don't I grab my scooter from the garage? I'll go door to door knocking and asking people if they want to buy lemonade, and then I'll deliver it to them. Hashtag Scooter Dash. So a couple of hours went by, and they started to sell out of their lemonade, and they had quite the pile of money. But that's, of course, when the company, just four hours old, ended up in parental probate court. All three of them came as plaintiffs, hot and bothered, because they couldn't agree how to split up the money. Joshua said that he had worked scooting around the neighborhood and that most of the money should go to him. You know, um, advertising and marketing fees. Olivia thought that since she was the one who poured all of the lemonade, had conversations with customers as they came up to the table, that she should receive most of the money. You know, um, quality control and guest experience fees. And Isabella, the five-year-old, she couldn't really articulate anything that she had done to contribute to the company. Uh, So she still wanted her money, though. So perhaps a silent partner fee. I listened to each of their arguments. I, I weighed the pros and cons. And then I asked them politely, who gave you the lemons? Who gave you 
the water? Who gave you the sugar? Who gave you the table to set up shop? Who gave you the sign to advertise? Who gave you the cups to pour? Oh, and that scooter, who gave you the scooter to get all around the neighborhood? That's when the silent partner spoke up. Well, if you're going to count all of that, then we haven't really made anything. And while we may not operate lemon stands, any child of God will eventually come to the same conclusion. We may be the one getting out of bed, but we didn't breathe the breath of life into our own bodies. God did. We may be the one driving to work every single day, but we don't protect ourselves from dangers seen and unseen. God does. We may be the one promoted or headhunted, but we didn't open the doors that no man could close. God did. We may be the one making the decisions, pitching the product, or building the team, but we didn't endow ourselves with the intellect, the skills, or the gifts that gave us the opportunity to work in the first place. God did. You see, the truth is, we work really hard, but God works harder. To give us gifts that we could never earn. To give us blessings that we could never repay. And to give us mercies that we don't merit, but are made new every single day of our lives. And so how should we respond? That's for you to decide, but maybe, maybe it's to become givers ourselves. To give out of sincere gratitude to the one who created the earth and everything in it and yet shares its abundance with us. Perhaps it's to recognize that even what looks like the fruit of the labor of our own hands is really just a byproduct of the relentless generosity of God. Now, as you consider your answer to that question, let me pose another. One that I have often heard when it comes to giving to church, and that is, does God really need my money? I mean, that's a fair question, considering that Scripture tells us chapter after chapter, book after book, about the self sufficiency of God. We read in Genesis that God created the entire world in six days and then just took a nap on the seventh. God didn't need any help stringing the stars in the sky, raising mountains from the earth, or breathing life into every living being. What would this all-powerful and sovereign God want with our money? I mean, if God is really God, why does God need money from us? Well, what if I told you that God doesn't need it? You do. I do. 
You see, giving doesn't benefit God. God is self-sufficient, doesn't need anything that we have to give. And yet God asks us to give to the church. Why? Because giving isn't about our dollars. Giving is about our discipline. Whenever we pledge ourselves to do something over and over again, we discover what we really value. Because our habits are not just activities, they're insights into who we really are. For example, if you see me outside of church, I I, I hate to dispel the myth, but I do not wear my robe when I leave here. I'm not even business casual. I am usually in some kind of exercise gear. I have uh, drawers and drawers of top of the line workout pants, running shorts, uh, Lululemon sweatshirts. I've even got the ones that you can put the band over your your thumb because you're running so fast that you don't want your, your sleeve to go up. Yeah, yeah, I got that. I got that too. And if you looked at me after church in this exercise gear, you would think that I am a woman who is serious about her fitness and healthy living. And you would be wrong. No, no, I I have all of the exercise clothes and the overpriced Peloton bike to match. But I walk by it in my exercise clothes on the way to McDonald's. Why? Because I am more committed to looking like an exerciser on the outside than disciplining myself to being one on the inside. And don't miss this. God is not interested in disciples who sing about generosity on the outside. Preachers who preach sermons about giving on the outside. Or people who pray prayers about sacrifice on the outside. No, God asks us to give regularly, not because God needs it, but because it changes who we are on the inside. Regular and faithful giving molds our hearts. It moves our mindsets and shapes our spirit until we look more like Christ. Because giving isn't about what it does for God. It's about what it does to us. And perhaps, perhaps that's the real question that we have to ask ourselves in our conversation with God today. Am I willing to regularly give and let God shape me until I look more like Jesus? As you consider your answer to that question, I'll share the last one that you might be thinking about giving. And that is, why should I give to this church? There are others, some just a few blocks away. So why should I give my resources to Noblesville First United Methodist Church? Of all of the questions that we've considered today, Steve, this is probably the most important. Sure, our money may ultimately belong to God, and God calls us to give some of that money so that we're shaped into Christ-like followers. But that doesn't mean we have to invest it here. So why should we? 
One reason is what I shared with you this week in our faith at first. You may remember seeing this pie chart, which shows how our ministry budget is spent. The largest pieces of the pie go to worship and outreach and missions. And considering that Jesus told us to make disciples and to feed his sheep, this budget is a faithful witness to what our God calls us to do as a church. But I'd offer another reason today. Actually, 1,149 reasons today. 1,149 are the average number of people that come through the doors of this church on any given week. 500 of them are worshipers like you. People who have gathered to hear a word of light in a world full of darkness. 260 of them are preschool students. They are cute. They are curious. They are loud. (laughs) But they are a shot of instant joy every single time that we see them. 155 of them are English as a second language students, immigrants and outsiders who find in this building a safe place to learn, to be accepted, and to grow. 50 of them are Boy Scouts uh, saluting and serving. 15 of them are youthful of angst, faith, and possibility. Forty of them are neighbors looking for sunshine as they gather in our special needs ministry. Twenty of them are in support groups like a grief share, divorce care, or Alzheimer's caregivers. Sixty of them are in Bible study, wrestling, questioning, and connecting with God and others through scripture. Forty-five of them are in need of a hot meal and a safe space. And four of them gather each week in our prayer chapel, praying out loud those requests that have been submitted through connection cards. You see, it doesn't matter which of those numbers you choose. What it all adds up to is that we are a church that puts our money where our mission is. We are a church that feeds the hungry, that raises up the next generation, that cares for our neighbors in need, that supports those in pain, that teaches and preaches the gospel and intercedes for people in prayer. There isn't one reason that you should give to Noblesville first. There's one thousand. One hundred and forty-nine.